0: Good morning everyone. Uh, I am coming to you from Barbados. Many of you may have seen my uh, post recently about needing to come home because of my father's failing health. So I want to start with just a quick update around that. Um, His prognosis continues to not be well. He is in renal failure. Kidneys are shutting down. Um, So we are basically reaching that beginning of the end stage uh, of his life we've been able to make him more comfortable um but this is what's happening and yeah so as you can imagine lots of feelings and emotions swirling within and i'm doing my best to be present to what's happening here and to him and uh, to this um, point in our lives but that being said, uh, I promise you, when ask the minister, so we're going to get an ask the minister. Oh, but by the way, um, so grateful for the outpouring of support that you all, all shared with me online on Facebook and Instagram. It's uh, I've I've been moved, and um, it, it's confirmed my uh, decision to reach out to you to get that support, to get those prayers, to get. Um, the confirmation that no, I am, I am not alone. I am never alone, and I hope that's a message that you all believe for yourself as well. Um, fair warning, if you hear a lot of background noise, I am at my uh, grandmother's house. Um, the, it is a fully functioning commercial bakery right underneath me, so there may be a lot of noise going on. That being said, let's jump in. Um, got some really good questions for Ask the Minister. And I want to start off with one which I'm not sure was a serious question, but I said ask me anything, and I said I would answer anything. So just on the offshoot chance that this is a serious question, and I'll be honest, it kind of like, you know, um, addressed the little science nerd in me, so I was actually quite happy to answer it. So um, the question was, why is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue? Um, and again, just on the offshoot chance, someone is legitimately asking me that and does not have access to Google. Uh, the short answer for when the sky, why the sky is blue, it's a phenomenon called uh, Raleigh scattering. Raleigh like Raleigh North Carolina Raleigh scattering and basically sunlight hits the earth's atmosphere and and the particles and waves are scattered in all different directions because of the gases and the particles and blue light is scattered more because it has a shorter wavelength um so those particles when they hit our eyes they show up as blue and that's why the sky is blue okay again Dr. Google just in just in case So next question, why do unity ministers quote the Bible when we don't know how much of it is true? Again, why do unity ministers quote the Bible when we don't know how much of it is true? So in the question, when the person asking uses the word true, I'm going to assume that they're meaning factual. Right, So why do community ministers quote the Bible when we don't know how much of it is factual? Because there is a difference between truth and fact. I'll use an example. Poetry, right? We quote poetry all the time. Some of us love poetry, it's very inspirational. Um, It reflects parts of the human condition that just, you know, are best expressed by those who have mastered the art of poetry. But is poetry fact, or is it truth? Some would say it's an interplay of both, but it reflects truth. And that's the approach I sort of take with the Bible. The Bible is a collection of, of writings that reflect the truth of the human condition at specific times for specific people in the Middle East. Now, they're not necessarily facts, but they reflect human truths. And some of these truths are universal and they transcend time and location. They're good models for our both spiritual and actual living. For example, um, don't kill. That's a pretty good one I think we can get on board with. Uh, Love your neighbor. Uh, The entire Good Samaritan story about helping those uh, in need. These are all Stories in the Bible; these are all, they all reflect, um, I would say, good human condition truths um, that are good maxims to live by. Are they necessarily fact? No, but you know what I say: don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, so yes, the Bible, a very inspirational text and collection of stories that in the Christian world have become sacred, and every religion has a collection of stories and writings from, from their avatars uh, that have become sacred. So that's why I still feel comfortable quoting the Bible. Plus in unity, you know, we use that metaphysical interpretation as in what does it mean and apply to for our own spiritual development. So I hope that answered the question. Uh, this one is a little bit longer, but I think very important as well. Uh, I'll read the whole question. Since joining Unity, I have felt a certain level of inadequacy, self imposed, no doubt, but no less annoying, when sharing with friends, colleagues, and family who follow the more traditional and well known religions how I believe the Unity teachings and principles are every bit as valid a spiritual journey and experience as their Catholicism, Judaism, Bo- Buddhism, Christianity, etc. Invariably, when I attempt to explain, not justify, that my understanding of unity teaches that the true divinity lies in and is expressed by each one of us equally as our spiritual birthright, the question comes, yes, but who is your God? And who is all capitalized? Who is your God? So the feeling of inadequacy bubbles up because I struggle to come up with some reasonable equivalent to Jesus, Buddha, Jehovah, etc., and invariably feel quite the failure in not being able to do so. So, what might a suitable answer that both serves to respect the questioner asking me, but also enables me to feel adequate in my answer? So, I guess, again, the question is what is the suitable answer for who is your God? So, before I get to an answer, oh, and by the way, I should have started with saying this um, and ask the minister. I will often leave you with more questions than answers. So apologies in advance if that's frustrating. If you're coming to me looking for a definitive answer about anything, yeah, you might be a little bit disappointed. Um, All I can share with you is 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 where my thoughts and beliefs are at this moment. Ask me the same question, you know, five years from now, you probably might get a slightly nuanced different answer. Go back and look at some of my past Ask the Ministers that have been recorded, and you might experience the same. So let me look at the question itself. Who is your God? And I want to unpack that a little bit. Who is your God? This is a question, I believe, that is attempting to define and personify. Define and personify. What do I mean by this? When we try to define something right we're looking for for a, a description that allows our intellect to grasp what's going on. Um, it's an effort to to understand primarily intellectually, I believe um, and and part of that is is in seeking to understand, we're seeking to become comfortable right when we know, we get comfortable around the issue. Here are the facts. All right, I can handle those. I can agree with those. or I can disagree with them, right? but in 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 either case, I have some words to help my brain understand what's going on. that's that's defining. And part of the struggle with this is because when we speak of God, it's a concept that i think defies a definitive explanation part of why we want a definite explanation is because then again with a sense of certainty comes a sense of comfort of knowing this is right and The issue with certainty is that certainty is really, when you think about it, the opposite of faith. And if one's attempting to have an understanding of a relationship with God, then faith is really important because there will always be a sense of unknowingness, of not knowing. We can't in our limited intellectual, mental, emotional, human capacity be able to truly comprehend and define the fullness of all that God is. So we do our best with words and metaphors which are inherently limiting. But those words and metaphors, as you have probably experienced, have created a lot of trouble (laughs) over uh, humanity's existence. Um, The other part personifying the word who implies person and when we personify something we are attributing human characteristics to it we are doing what we call creating god in our own image and the issue with creating god in our image is that again we're we're applying limiting but definable attributes to something that transcends that um, why do we do this? We do this um, to make ourselves feel comfortable. Again, knowing it's, it's comfort, we feel safe. Um, then God becomes personal to us because we create it as it feels comfortable to us. But then there's also the other aspect of if we can define it and name it, then we can blame it as well and be angry with it. So there's that part of it. So I'll begin to answer the question about what do you say? Here's what. I'll tell you I would say um, and you can try this on and see if it works for you and I'm gonna quote the Bible (laughs) remember what I just said in the previous question about the Bible so I'm gonna quote the Bible in John 4 24 we read God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth so who said this Jesus said this and some of you might be familiar with the story of the woman at the well Jesus disciples were we're passing through this town it's in Samaria and this woman he was waiting at the well for his disciples to go get some stuff and this woman comes up and starts talking to him so that's that's messy for a whole lot of reasons this um, unaccompanied um, woman at the well and she's talking to a man of her own accord Um, long live the patriarchy but that was a big no-no And the the woman says to him, I'm paraphrasing the story, please go read it, uh, says to him, like, you know, our ancestors worshiped God here, and now we're being told, like, the only true worship happens at the temple in Jerusalem. You know, what's that all about? And the Samaritans, by the way, were basically ancestral cousins of the Israelites. But now, in Jesus' time, they were seen as inferior people. They were outcasts. They were discriminated against by the Israelites. So what Jesus is saying to her is God is spirit. Worship him in spirit and truth. Location doesn't matter. What matters is your inner understanding um, and also your spiritual understanding. So I would begin my answer by saying, if someone asking me, who is my God? I would say, yeah, God, let's begin with the Bible. God is spirit. And personally, I don't feel a need to answer the question, who is my God? My God is that which reveals itself to me ongoing. My God is the essence of who I am. And that's going to continue to unfold and be revealed to me as I do my own inner healing and my inner work. And also how I demonstrate it. You want to see who my God is, then look at me, okay? And Jesus said that himself as well. Another Bible verse in John 14. Um, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I'm the father and the father's in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my own, but the father who dwells in me does his works. So how I understand that to basically mean is you want to see God? Look at me. You want to see God? Look at the person next to you. Everyone is the embodiment of divinity their actions may speak otherwise, but we have to remember that this is in consciousness. This is the essence of who an individual is. So if you want to show people who the God that you understand God to be is, then your actions are going to speak a whole lot louder than your words. So how are you living God as spirit? Going back to your question, um, you said true divinity lives in as an expressed. How are you expressing that divinity? That's your answer. At least that's the answer I I would give. Don't listen to my words. Look at my life. And then that goes into is your life expressing God divinity as you understand it. So I don't know if that's going to leave you with more questions and answers, but then it also Uh, There's another piece of this which I want to bring in, which is, um, have you examined your desire to feel that you have to give an answer that's suitable to them? Right. So. God's not a competition, and there feels like there's this element of competition there. Here's my God. Where is your God? Let's compare God's. Right. So is your desire to find an answer for your own inner seeking or is it a desire to feel like you need to fit in and belong with your friends? You said in the question it wasn't about justification, yet is it the need to, I need to be able to explain this otherwise I am not a good unity person. I need to be able to explain this so I can fit in in theological conversations. I'd invite you to examine your need a little bit deeper for that explanation. And if it really stems down to perhaps you're struggling with the answer for yourself, then yeah. Be compassionate with yourself, be patient with yourself and realizing there's no there's no end to that answer, right? This this is like peeling an onion, there's always going to be layers, bad metaphor, because eventually an onion gets to the center. But this is like an infinite onion. There's always going to be layers you have to peel back in your understanding as divinity within you reveals itself to you. And and this goes beyond the intellect. This is also an embodied experience and and a feeling experience. Um, So there's no simple answer here. The best answer is the non-answer. And to demonstrate. All right, moving on. Can you give us any insights as to how you continue to heal your heart, fully engage in the world, and find love and peace? All right, so basically, what's the secret of life? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, so, uh, you know the old joke, right? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. So, I would begin to answer this question by. Are you engaging in mindfulness practices? What do I mean by mindfulness practices? Things that support self-awareness, meditation, um, appreciative inquiry of yourself, doing some, 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 just sitting and listening to what arises within you. Mindfulness practices. Um, Because what they will take you to is, if you allow them, your wounded places okay and then when we butt up against the wounds within us then there's um, i love the work of tara brock in her radical acceptance and radical compassion um, books and teachings right we do a lot of work to numb ourselves and avoid the deep pain and her teaching invites us to stop and breathe when we feel that deep pain and lean into it lean into it accepting that it is part of our inner experience, part of who we are, and we can, we can, we can make peace with the inner wounds. And for me, when we talk about um, healing my heart, that's that's what comes up for me: the 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 accepting that perhaps there are parts of my heart that that are struggling. Um, and, and the healing is, is, is the deciding not to struggle, to accept, okay? Um, so, so to examine those unconscious habits, to, to try to see what they are, um, and um, then from that place, make the choices around how you will show up in your world. So this is sort of tied to the previous answer as well. But I always have to question the question, which is find love and peace. What do you mean by love and peace, right? Because the spiritual concepts, they already exist within you. You are the embodiment of love. You are the embodiment of peace. If you're asking about love and peace outside of yourself, is that another way of asking perhaps, how do you create love and peace or how do you avoid conflict and discomfort? When you say love and peace, of find love and peace. Is this a question around bypassing the challenges of the world? Because if you want to find love and peace in this world, like we all got to go and create it. We have to embody it first of ourselves and then go out and create it in the situations that arise before us. And that does not mean that we won't have conflict and discomfort. James Baldwin has a great quote. He says, love is not... Sorry, love does not begin and end the way we seem to think it does. Love is a battle, love is a war, love is a growing up. Hear that? Love is a battle, love is a war, love is a growing up. We seem to sometimes conflate love and peace in unity with this blissful experience of Nirvana, of the angel singing, and that we all in harmony and Kumbaya and together. We live in a world where that may be the desired inner experience, but as long as we continue to embody the divine and live it through this human shell that has these wounds, that has these fears, um, it's going to get messy. That's not a bad thing or a thing to be avoided. You know, the only way through the mess is through the mess um, and to lean into it. So, so yes. Um, Creating love, creating conditions for peace and justice, that's going to take work, and it's going to be messy along the way, but that's the ultimate manifestation of love. We don't find love outside of ourselves. We create and embody love. The love's already within us. Um, all right. This might be my favorite question. Um And uh, this person says, what do you like most about being a unity minister? What do you like least about it? Do you think unity as a whole needs to be more engaged in social justice issues? If someone feels inspired to be a unity minister, why do you jest? They should, quote, run the other way. LOL. (laughs) So multipart question here. And and I know the person who asked this question and he is considering becoming a union minister, and he's asked me about it. And yes, part of my response is, yeah, you should run uh, the other way. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. But let's start with the, what do I like most about being a union minister? Um, I like I like unity's message, unity's theology. Um, back to an earlier question, by the way. Um, so when the person asked about um, the inadequacy and, and answering the who is your God question, He said, unity's teachings and principles are every bit as valid as a spiritual journey and experience as their Catholicism, Judaism, Buddhism, Buddhism, and Christianity. Please, let's be clear. Unity is part of Christianity, okay? Christianity has many faces and evolutions. In fact, we call them Christianities. There's a plural. And this is not a new thing. It's always been this way from the beginning of Christianity, from the earliest days of people doing their best to live out Jesus' teachings. There have always been disagreements and arguments and variants and, and, and different manifestations. So there have always been many Christianities. Unity is one of those. And I like Unity's particular teaching that um, of an understanding of christianity of jesus's teachings so so i like that um when i was going through a spiritual crisis decades ago it is and almost left christianity it was the it was the one teaching that allowed both my head and my heart to align and, and and made sense for me specifically about being a unity minister is is things like what i'm doing right now right um being in discourse, um, conversations around, around transformation. Um, I, I love, I love um, inspiring healing in others um, and, and helping others to maybe have a, a better, deeper, more fuller understanding of the divine within and then um, using that to help them do transformative works in the world. By the way, doing all of that myself along the way. Because I ain't figured this all out yet. I'm in the journey with you, right? Arguably, perhaps I've practiced a bit more. Mm, That's questionable. (laughs) Because there's some people who've been around unity and doing these things longer than I've been alive. So, you know, that's arguable as well. So those are the parts uh, that I like. I, I love being in, in pastoral counseling with individuals and, and us being in the struggle. Um, you know, um, I've, I've enjoyed uh, working with people who are who are dealing with grief and complicated grief because because, you know, that's my been my journey, too. And and us being in it together, it's been it's been wonderful. So I like those parts. I. Um, I'm not gonna go to the what I like least about it yet. I'm gonna answer that with a run the other way part. But um, in terms of social justice, yes, I believe unity as a whole needs to be much more engaged. Why? Short answer, because Jesus. Um, uh, I'll explain more about that in a second. But first of all, we're out of integrity with ourselves as a movement if we're not engaging in social justice, right? Fifth principle not enough to know the previous four we have to live them and so many times we we seem to interpret that as an individualized inner experience okay how do we make the divinity that is in each of us a lived experience for everyone first for ourselves and then we demonstrate that so i think social justice aligns itself with that also we're in unity, we talk about Jesus as the way shore. And if you look at Jesus's life, he continually questioned out loud the laws and and beliefs and systems that didn't demonstrate love or justice or that deprived individuals of their humanity. Um, so many stories is why he said the Sabbath was for the, uh, for man and not man for the Sabbath when they questioned, him eating and picking ears of corn on the sabbath he's like or ears of grain he's like yeah we're not we're not going to let people starve on the sabbath simply because we can't pick grain um it's why he stood between the woman who was about to be stoned for adultery right uh the, the laws at the time said that people were within her right to stone her for adultery um but is that a just law is that a law that demonstrates love no and by the way where was the man and all that right where was the man who was supposedly in this act with her Hmm. suspiciously not present another sermon for another time long live the patriarchy anyways um so so there's that um yes we should be more involved in social justice okay now for the part of what i dislike And why sometimes I say yes run the other way. Um, So um, being a church pastor, a church minister is a uniquely challenging job Um, and I'm not even just talking about the job description which by the way for a lot of churches especially smaller churches is a little bit over the top. Uh, We're expected to be a CEO, a CFO, a counselor, a a therapist, all the while being a dynamic speaker every Sunday um, being so inspiring that we bring people in um, and, um, and then there's the pressures of if we say things people don't like and then they leave and that affects the church's bottom line. So there's this pressure on us and whether, as a church, you want to admit that it's there or not, it's there. I feel it. Many, many other ministers I have talked to feel it as well. Um, it's a position that, yes, while we are very clear it's a somewhat public one that we step into, there's a lot of scrutiny that comes along with that, which isn't necessarily healthy. Um, um, and, and living under microscope, and again, whether you want to agree you are, uh, it happens or not, it, it, it does happen. And I won't go into specific examples, um, but it does. And let's be clear, it's, act, it's, it's also that scrutiny is worse for women. Uh, female clergy have it so much worse. And um, perhaps talk to some of the female ministers and licensed union teachers in the uh, congregation. Um, after after you're done with this, um, they can they can tell you. I, I won't speak on their uh, behalf. There's that expectation to fit a certain mold, look a certain way, say a certain thing, and um, it it can be telling. And again. A lot of this depends on the congregation you're with and also you as the minister yourself and how much you um, lean on job security. So, so, so there's, a, there, there's, there's, there's that uh, to begin with. Um, there's a great article online that I want you to Google when you get back home. The title of it is Why Pastors Are Joining the Great Resignation. So type that in the Google. Why pastors are joining the Great Resignation, and should pull up an article written on a website, Sojourners.net. And um, this article cites research um, from um, Barna Institute. This is a research group that studies faith and culture, and it said that 38 percent of Protestant senior pastors surveyed have considered leaving ministry over the past year and this is between 2020 and 2021 okay protestant as in not catholic as in everything that's not catholic is protestant so whether it's mainline uh like like uh, methodist or, or or episcopalian whether it's evangelical whether it's like unity we f- all fall under that protestant umbrella okay so 38 percent have thought about leaving in the past year 2020 2021. And among pastors under the age of 45, that number rose to 46%. Some of the reasons that are cited, intractable conflict, embedded sexism, shifting congregational commitments and sentiments, unclear paths paths for ministries following the pandemic, exhaustion, low pay, lack of appreciation, and the, the author of the article says, After 18 months of live-streamed worship services, telepastoral care, online funerals, my exhausted friends are leaving their churches one by one. This is a very demanding job. This is a job that while, uh, you know, When you get hired, you say, here's my hours that I work. That's not really what's held to. There's the expectation that you kind of are on call all the time. And while you know that going in, it doesn't make it any less exhausting. It doesn't make it any less um, a burden on, for example, if you have a family and children, um, you miss a a lot of things. Um, I can speak to the personal experience of when my daughter Joy was a lot younger, Missing some things and we made it an intentional not to miss those things, but sometimes it couldn't be avoided Um, So so it is a job that brings with it a lot that Isn't found in other jobs and it's a weird dynamic. Uh, You know, I'm the minister yet I report to the board the boards made up of congregants. So basically I work for the people who sit in front of me every Sunday all with having different opinions about what I say and how I show up as minister and what should be done at the church and somehow I get to find a middle ground for all of that so I'm not saying it can't be done I'm saying it's hard and it's difficult so I uh, i always encourage people who want to become ministers be clear about why you think you want to be a minister and talk to a lot of other ministers talk to as many ministers as you can to get a realistic picture of the difference between what shows up in public and what it really means in private to be a minister i have a great resource for you and i think Anyone thinking of becoming a minister, anyone who's a congregant in a church, and especially anyone who serves on the board of a church should listen to it. It's a podcast called Rev Covery. That's R-E-V-C-O-V-E-R-I, Rev Covery. And, and, and these are folks who interview ministers who are thinking about leaving church or who have left church about their experience. And, and you'll hear some interesting common threads Um, including some of the things I mentioned before. But many people are blissfully unaware of the experience their pastor is going through. And part of that is on us, the pastors and the ministers, right? Because there's a sense of we've accepted that this is what the job is. So therefore, we're going to just do it and struggle and push through. So part of that is on us. But part of it is also on the church to really investigate and ask, the pastor what is your experience and how can we support you even if it means we don't always get what we want and again i am paid in with a broad brush not all churches are like this but what's really dangerous is the churches that think they're not like this but that they really are okay so so this bleeds into the to the next question actually which is what inspired you to create and commit to Project Sanctus beyond my desire to address and change the social, political, and economic oppression of people of color. If appropriate, please tell us how we can continue or if we can continue with Project Sanctus. Uh, those two questions came in separately, but I, but I combined them because um, I can answer them in one. So, so, so what inspired me to create and commit to Project Sanctus um, beyond that desire great answer of of your own question. I love it, and I agree with it, but also because I realized that the church experience was not fully supporting who I am. I had to find a space that really honored who I was and what I wanted to be in the world. I needed my outer life experience to align with my inner life experience. I I needed harmony, (laughs) Um, and for many, many, many reasons, being a church pastor did not support that if you want to hear my story around that go to Rev Covery. i actually they actually had me on as a guest on one of their episodes and i talk about it i actually have the link somewhere on my facebook page um, a couple days back so you can you can listen to that but and that's okay it's okay when one finds oneself in a position that does not support who you fully are and it's and is asking more of you than you are are willing or capable to provide, to step away from it. So that's what I did. But then you're saying, well, wait, how come you're here at Union of Gethseburg? <laughs> I was very intentional about um, for a, a temporary period of time supporting this community as the as you were seeking your new minister who you have found so glad Reverend Edith uh, will be here to be your minister. Um, And that time is coming to an end, my time, um, in a few weeks. And I've been very grateful for this time because not only has it been wonderful to reconnect with the people here and offer my support, but it also affirmed for me that my choice to step away from church ministry was the right choice for me. And creating this online experience, Project Sanctus, again, Sort of hones my gifts and my skills and my desires, to live the fifth principle, to create a world of love and justice and equity for all. Um, it 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 aligns with it with it all. So so that's why me and Reverend Kelly Isla, my co-founder of Project Sanctus, uh, we share that similar vision, and that's why we came together to create Project Sanctus. And yes, you can go to Project Sanctus and you can support us monetarily. You can show up for any of the activities and uh, stuff that we do. You can find us online, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Our online handle is Get Our Holy On, because that's 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 our catchphrase, that's our theme. Let's get our holy on. Let's embody the divine, however we understand the divine. Which which for me and my current understanding, limited understanding still, is about is about the presence of love okay and the more the more i do the spiritual journey the less i seek to put words to this because <laughs> words are limiting, and words do not begin to crack uh crack the surface um of of the fullness of it so more and more i just stop trying to put words to it out loud or even within me i i, I just rest in the unfolding of of, of what is um so so yeah, that's that's what led me to that. Plus there's the other perk of, you know, being online and becoming a digital nomad. Like that's really um, uh, feeling good for me right now. So I can, I can be where I want to be. Um, it's part of what allows me to be here to bring this full circle in Barbados with my father at this time as he's going through uh, this transition. Um, I don't know if you hear all the background noise. I apologize for that. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, am, I am continually finding integrity between my inner life and my outer life and, and making them support each other. So if there's any, you know, takeaway from this is, is, is your outer life truly supporting your inner life? And are you helping to create the outer life that supports your inner life? um so i think that's that's all the questions that came in and and i've gone over a little bit so my apologies but yeah this was good i love doing these i love doing the ask the minister i personally think this is what every sermon should be instead of you know you know so that so that the things that you have on your mind and your heart can be addressed directly versus me just you know coming up with something every week that I think you need to know uh, so uh, thank you for your time um, thank you again for your for your support for your prayers um, and holding me and my family in your heart uh, during during this time and um, I look forward to whenever I return and uh, could be with you face to face so that's it for today thank you